0: You're listening to Experience This, a show about the emerging experience economy with your host, Tom Young.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Experience This. This is Tom Young. I'm sitting here with Karen Bajwa. How are you doing, Karen? Hey, Tom. How's it going? All right. Hey, today we wanted to talk about, um, we just had come off a great field trip, but we went to some new retail spaces in New York, uh, the Starbucks Roastery. the Samsung store and Restoration Hardware pretty cool new retail concepts and we wanted to think next week we have the National Re- Retail Federation at Jacob Javits it's one of the largest retail trade shows coming in we want to think about how do we take some of the things from that the things we know from our consulting business around reimagining retail and think rethinking the space so we just watched this morning a few um yeah, somewhat depressing videos oh, yeah, on a
0: great start to the morning. <laughs> a,
1: abandoned malls and what's happening. And what's interesting is you know the mall concept crept up. I guess it started very early in the fifties, but the heyday was the nineteen seventies and eighties, and they probably built out about fifteen hundred malls around the country. And at its peak, you know, it was probably employing just under two million people and now that that's it's down about 25% from that and it's on and it's still declining.
0: It Seems like it was a social place for people and families to really get together and hang out.
1: Yeah, I I'm, su- I'm sure there's lots of people who have gone through and looked at the etymology of of malls and how it evolved from strip malls and plazas from all, from main street to strip malls and plazas all the way up to enclosed malls. Yeah. And um but you know, one of the things we talk about—it's—it's it's cliche to say that Amazon and digital e-commerce have been killing um, retail. Um, that's like—that's like, that's like stating—that's like telling a drowning person the water is wet, because uh, it's an obvious analysis. But the less obvious one to me is the—the the mall served a purpose, and mm-hmm. let's just say in the heyday in the late '70s. Early eighties, when I grew up, you know, the, going to the mall was that was a fun thing to do. That was something to do. I mean, when you think about your options back then, you didn't have the entertainment options you have today. Yeah. Um,
0: even even for teenagers, I mean, the the social component that the mall offered was huge.
1: Yeah, and and just your access to a variety right. of things. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you go way back, let's pick a hundred years if you lived in a small village, you might've had one general store, your choice for a dress or shoes or um, anything was, you bought what was at the general store. Yeah. Uh, Now you could have, there was these early days of catalogs. You could sift through the catalog and mail stuff, but you really, you saw probably a hand-drawn picture of what it was and uh, it took probably weeks to get to you. So it's very different. So the malls, gave you sort of a concentrated access to a, a new variety of things that you didn't get. So it solved the problem. And this is where I think when we think more broadly about how e-commerce has hurt retail, mm-hmm. one of the things we, you know, there's, there's two kinds of the competition. There is supply side competition. It's somebody who does them mall exactly the way they're doing it better, faster, uh, cooler cheaper etc and that's a threat you have Some, you know, a mall opens up down the street they're newer better people are going to go there instead of where you, your old mall but I think what's really been happening is demand side threats which is new emerging business models have taken the demand away from going to the mall yep. it's not that the malls are even a bad deal it's just that there's better deals somewhere else and people are solving their needs by you, you don't overuse the Amazon example, but if I need to get something, I can go on Amazon and just click, and it's there, and it's 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 cheaper, and it saves me time. Do you think
0: it's also a little bit of a case of that traditionally in retail you would have you you would go there to find products, well designed products. It's it's almost as if products were driving demand and and traffic, whereas today. It, the consumers through Instagram, for example, are the ones that are setting the tone for what the products are. So it's more the people are the front lines of setting the trends versus before it was the buyers at Macy's who would put these products in the stores and you would go there to to see them. So the paradigm has kind of shifted.
1: Yeah, I I, I suppose. I mean, all those things are true. I mean, you're, you're seeing a, a, a different trend. You know... I, I would you would go to the store back in the nineteen seventies and eighties and you'd see things you didn't see before. Yeah. And
0: you don't have to do that
1: now though. And so you would go you would go shopping almost like in a hunter gatherer. It was equivalent to hunting. You know, look what I found. I found a great deal of bargain. Those kind of things get lost today when I can do a search on one of these search engines and find the best price, the best availability. And you you have to say there's still a notion of treasure hunting when you go shopping, but it's a small percentage of what people buy.
0: Yeah, and I also think you have to, the motivation to get people to walk through the doors has to be a lot higher than online, you can just click through you know, pages. You can cover the ground of a mall in probably about 10 minutes versus physically walking through all of the stores. Um, so yeah, definitely. I, I also think uh, it's just made it easier. And I think that the, the I guess they use the term customer acquisition or the way to get people to come in has just gone up exponentially. Yeah.
1: So what I want to talk about today is, you know, we can talk about all the negative stuff is a lot of people have already de- decomposed that. You know, we saw this yeah, YouTube channel of uh, deadmalls.com and uh, other things like that. It's very interesting to see that. It's a, it's a little uh, negative energy. But if we think about what's the positive side of this, there are some pretty good um, visions for the future of retail. And to me, it goes back to what we talked about in the basis of our conversations on this podcast series is the experience economy. Is how do I, um, if I'm dealing, if I'm, if I'm a, a store trying to compete with Amazon on Amazon's terms, which is price and availability, I'm gonna lose.
0: Yeah, Uh, you're going to lose
1: that battle. But what Amazon doesn't have for the most part, I mean, they have a few retail outlets, but what they don't have is they don't have the bricks and mortar. So for them to sell an experience, the best thing they can do is sell a digital experience. They can't sell a social experience or a tactile or analog experience in a way that a physical store could, where somebody wants to actually interact with a product or do something socially around that product. So, Think of um, a store that sells soaps or candles, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to smell a soap or feel it or smell a candle online, right? You can, once you know what you want, yeah, you can go buy it, resupply online, but to actually buy it for the first time or experience it, you really need to be there. And that's what stores have that purpose. So you think at a simple level, how do I create a situation when I design retail where an analog experience is an integral part of the commerce.
0: Yeah. And uh, one example that really comes to mind, and it was talked about last year at the conference that you're attending next week, is a store in Manhattan and Chelsea on 10th Avenue called Story, which has done a great job of redefining that whole retail experience. So basically what Story does, and I think we talked about it in a little bit on, on one of our previous podcasts, is that it allows you, it changes, it deconstructs the store every four to eight weeks, and everything is centered around a theme. So they're not just buying products and putting a bunch of stuff on shelves. They have a, an actual story that they built. So welcome home for the holidays. It's summertime. It's summertime. Those are the themed stories. Mm-hmm. Love is in the air, etc. Right, and based on that story, the merchandise will help tell that story. So the story is driving the experience. It's not just a collection of hodgepodge products.
1: So we go back to um, the experience, right? So mm-hmm. think about the the source of the ultimate design of the malls from the '70s and '80s was you know. An updated replacement of Main Street. How can we recreate that Main Street where we take an, a new imagining? So this is a I have up on the screen here. This is a company called Westfield, and they're they're putting this project out there called Westfield Destinations. It's a 2028 vision of what malls might look like. Here's a picture up on the here. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, we When I looked through this, what this reminded me of was our walk down the High Line, mm-hmm. where you create these spaces that are of mixed use. Yes. And what's interesting about it is it's an abstraction to say, I want to create an experience around going to the mall. It's an abstraction. But what I would say, if I'm starting to break it down, what we're trying to say is if I go to the store and the store is a passive experience, meaning that the product sits on the shelves, it's up to me to go find it and see what I want, maybe do a price comparison, and then go buy that and check out. That's a very passive uh, architecture for that retail outlet. An active experience would be where I have to go there to participate. So think of a, like a Williams-Sonoma, who sells kitchen stuff. Now if you go in there, they have, I'm just gonna make up a number, because I honestly don't know what they have. But let's just say they have 4,000 SKUs Mm -hmm. in the store. But if you, we know from just doing any kind of analysis that it's an 80 20 rule. Right. You know, 80% of their, or 20% of their SKUs are, are 80% of their revenue. If they just cleared out some of their space and creating cooking classes, and then they only do some of this, by yep. the way, but cooking classes and experiences, wine tastings, all different kinds of things, and then integrate the retail with that experience of a, you know, here's a cook some new Italian dish or here's a, uh, a wine pairing tasting on how you do something but in experience it's gonna be packed. So uh, TJ and Cassidy, yep. they live in in Hoboken, right next to Trader Joe's. Right. And next to that is this company called uh the- Hudson Table.
0: Oh right. It's a cooking classes. Yeah they do cooking classes. Right. And it's
1: packed. Now with that they sell a gear that goes with that. So it's a kind of, they're kind of mixing the retail with the experience and it becomes very active. So when we think about, if you think about this picture that's up on here, and you can, people can go to this website. It's a uh, fashionnetwork.com. It's a, the Westfield, um, destination vision. But these pictures here, wow, you can see so it creates, cool. it, it's very similar to our Hudson Yards Walk where you can create. A place that's mixed. Yes. So, and it has act, active stuff. So if, if you started to think about, I don't want to put retail in here as much as I want to put retail and things like, you know, um, well, I could say banking. banking's becoming more virtualized. <laughs> but banking or a doctor or even restaurants and taverns where we start to bring other experience things together and integrate the retail with a broader experience.
0: Yeah, and actually referencing Hudson Yards and our, our walk on the High Line, there is a shopping mall that's slated to go up as part of that development. But what you'll notice is it's tied into um, there, you know, we talked in our last podcast about the culture shed. So events are going to be going on. There is a project there called The Vessel, which uh, is shaped like a honeycomb that you'll just be able to, it, it's an art installation that people will be able to engage with and walk up the steps and see the city from different viewpoints. So you're not just going to a boxed mall. You're going to, again, same thing that Westfield's trying to do for their 2028 vision. You're going to a space that has multiple things going on and you're part of the engagement. You're part of that story.
1: So when when we, again, when we talk about working with uh, companies who want to redesign retail, there's a lot of people out there that are going to raise their hands and say I can help I can help and there's a, there are probably a lot more ideas and ability to implement them but one of the things that we have done in our, in our in our broader consulting is the notion of focusing on customer journeys Yep. and I think it's important for retailers to understand what they're competing with so if they think that they're selling a product and they're competing on product availability and price and functionality and quality, et cetera. That's only a component of it. To me, they're also competing for time for sure. And so I have to want to go spend time to go to that store to experience something else and, and have that be not a chore. I have to go shopping like it's a chore to turn it into an experience now. Again, I don't don't want to overuse Amazon, but then they bought Whole Foods. People go to Whole Foods, and it's a destination.
0: Yes, and I don't know about the ones here uh, in New Jersey. They just
1: opened one here in Bridgewater.
0: Okay. Uh, I went to one in Philadelphia, which was uh, great. Basically, you walked in upstairs, and they had local food vendors. They had a bar. You went to the pasta station. They were making the pasta fresh, you you know, you can get it by half pound pound, etc. It just felt so much more immersive than going to a regular grocery store. And we stayed, we stayed probably for two hours, we spent at Whole Foods, and we actually had a drink at the bar. And I don't think I would have ever imagined sitting down at a grocery store having having a glass of wine or a beer.
1: Yeah. Well, so think of uh, in New York City, right? In Bryant Park. It's the uh, park right next to the public library Mm -hmm. on 42nd and 6th. There's a Whole Foods right there. Yep. Now they've designed that Whole Foods uh, to be an extension of the park, right? So when you walk out of the park, it's on the uh, northwest corner of the park. You walk right across the street and you walk into the Whole Foods. And they've designed the layout of the store to accommodate their customers. Right. And the customers are the people who are walking in many cases right out of the park for a picnic. The Bryant Park has a great field for picnics. It's one of them, it's probably one of my favorite parks in New York. And you walk in and they have basically the equivalent of pre-packaged picnic baskets where you can go buy stuff and yeah. then go hang out in the park and enjoy it. And then you go up to the second level and they have all the foods and the things you need for shopping. They don't have the same kind of selection as a superstore because of the, 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 the square footage they have. But the front of the store is all restaurants and uh, active stuff going on overlooking the park.
0: Yeah, it's an extension of your lifestyle, Yeah, basically.
1: And, and so the, they've created a notion of experiential, uh, active stuff. They've tied it back to your trip to the park. And now they're able to command probably higher margins, higher throughput. Uh, they're not, they're not competing with other people who are trying to sell groceries for cheaper. You could probably take a subway ride or a car ride to New Jersey and get all that stuff cheaper if that was your goal, but it will be a waste of your time because you're there to experience Bryant park. You're there to experience New York city on a nice day. You walk into whole foods. You're going to pay what you're going to pay to get that stuff.
0: And just because we are in the business of technology, the cool thing about going into that Whole Foods or the Starbucks that we went into is that obviously they're probably collecting consumer data. But all of that is, uh, you know, so hidden from the customer. So you just go there and enjoy your visit. It's not, you know, you don't really feel the barge of technology in your face or uh, it being so prevalent. So I think they've done that really well using probably gathering data points in the back end, but it being just completely seamless to the front end user.
1: So I, I, to me, I, I think, you know, when we think about reimagining retail, the, the, to me the future vision is, is um, mixed use design. Definitely. It has active elements and a high experience thing, but you are competing, if. To me, if I'm, if I'm bricks and mortar and I'm trying to compete with online commerce, I want to change the rules of that engagement from price and availability, which I'm going to lose that game most of the time to one that includes, uh, an experiential or time component, entertainment. So think of shopping as a form of entertainment. Like we had a, like we had a great time when we visited those stores and I would do it again. Um, more, more. Uh, I think Starbucks has the probably the highest repeatability yes. of those. Um, but I even think of we didn't visit this place, um, another s- store in, in New York or by uh, in Midtown, the Tommy Bahamas store. Oh right. They have, an, they have an, a restaurant attached to it. I, I like Tommy Bahamas products. I like to the shop there. And they've turned their, their retail, it's a pretty expensive place, mm-hmm. but the, it's, it's experiential when you go in there. But then they extend it to a nice ca- tiki bar, cafe, and restaurant. It's nice. So that's more repeatable. right? But now that becomes a destination where I want to go and and spend time. And so I think when you go back to the deconstruction, there's a vision of, let's make it active. Yep. Let's make it experiential. And let's change the rules so that we're not trying to compete on just price and availability. And then the blocking and tackling of how you do that is you, you really need to understand your, your customers, and it goes back to the customer experience. And so when we get down to the thing we do with clients is we sit down and we do uh, design customer personas, what kind of cu- customers customer. do you have, profile the personas, map them out in terms of which ones are important to you, and then map their journey in terms of their relationship with your retail establishment and, and wh- what are the things that they can do. Yep, definitely. So, we also oh. see the um, I you start to see this. I noticed this in amusement parks where they shifted their retail into the exit of a of a, a ride at the park.
0: Oh, right, because so, you have the memorable experience. It's,
1: it's experiential shopping. Yes. Right. So this. Just- so, they, they are, so the amusement parks have already figured this out, that if they create a store and just make that a store at the park, people are going to walk right by. But they, mm-hmm. when you go on a ride, whether it be Space Mountain at Disney World or, some, or you know, a Superman ride at Universal Studios, you, you walk through the store and you see related merchandise to that. And you associate that experience. You have a great experience. You buy that. Now, I'm sure they do that because it's successful.
0: Yeah. And I think that they have done that very well. They're just, ca- they're capitalizing on the emotion. And I think people want to, if you've had a great emotion or, or a positive experience, you will open up your wallet to hold on to that positive experience. And it's
1: not just about, you know, dollars and cents no. at that point. No, it's not. And so I, in that sense, uh, an online store isn't really competing with that uh, after ride show store, yes, they're not really competing in that way. No, so I remember I, my uh, I took my girls. We were uh, they loved going to Disney World, and we went to uh, this ride that they like to go on the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. I mean, I don't know how many times you can go on that, but apparently, you, in, an infinite amount of times. But when we walked out of the store, there's a nice, nicely laid out store. When you walk out, yeah, you can look at uh, ride pictures, and then you walk out and you can buy. And I would say. One time, almost every trip, we end up buying a T-shirt or uh, a hat or something like that as a as a remembrance of that because it's they also date it. So it'll say, "Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, I survived" or whatever. Sometimes they're even nice shirts, so they'll have a date on it. It'll say 2019, or then you say, "Oh, that's my my remembrance of this trip." You know, so. The same kind of thing is going to be, we're going to have to tie in and when we think, like when we look at this Westfield property and we think about how
0: Hudson, Hudson Yards and and the whole
1: Highline area, they're going to redesign that. It's going to be highly experiential. You're going to mix in um, uh, active things with retail and it's going to, uh, when we talk about reimagining retail, that's how I think of it.
0: I I do too, I think it's, it's lifestyle. It's building more of a lifestyle brand versus just a physical location. It's getting people out of their homes, active, doing stuff, participating, engaged. Um, and there's movement involved. Uh, so I think it's a lot more components that touch people in deeper places than just products.
1: So when I go to the conference uh, the expo next week at the Javits Center, I'm gonna I'm gonna be looking at what all these retailers are thinking about in, in terms of the experience and how they plan to, Evolve their business models.
0: Yeah, it'll be very interesting. We
1: saw enough. We see enough of the decline of classic retail to understand that it needs to be rethought if it's going to survive and it's uh, uh, and thrive. Mm-hmm. So we, the mall concept from the 1970s and 80s is probably not a concept that's going to survive outside of a few markets. And the the challenge you're going to have. If you own one of these places, or if you're a business trying to locate there, is you know, what's what's the right business model, and what am I really selling, and how am I, and what do my customers need? Because I, I do think the thing that we're underestimating here is you are competing you are competing with time. Yes. So anyway, yeah. any other parting comments on this? We'll talk about this next week when we get back.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to hear uh, yeah. how the conference is going to be.
1: All right. Well, thanks very much. Thanks. Talk right, to you thanks, soon. Bye.
0: Hey, this is Karen Bajwa. Thanks for checking out the show today. If you like what you heard, head on over to our website, rumjog.com. If you happen to be in the New York or New Jersey area, come check out our meetup called Digital Disruption. We cover topics like you heard today with a live audience. Lastly, don't forget to follow us on social media using the handle at rumjog. Talk to you soon.